please uh, turn with me in your Bibles at this moment to Matthew chapter 6. That's Matthew chapter uh, 6. And we're going to read verses 5 to 13. Before we read this passage, let us go to the Lord in uh, prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we we find ourselves once more in your presence, uh, giving you the honor and the glory due to your name. And we also now elevate your name by the preaching of your word this evening. We recognize that apart from your word, apart from your saving work by the Holy Spirit, we cannot even entertain your word as truth. So we ask at this moment that your Holy Spirit may touch our hearts as we have heard this morning in such a way that will give us a burning desire as your people to love your word and to seek your fellowship in your word as well and to seek to obey your word. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit and we ask also for those who are not believers that by your word and spirit, you may bring about the regenerating work, the miracle of miracles of salvation in the non-believing heart this evening. We ask for these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is God's very own infallible and inerrant word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And let us not, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle Matthew had uh, written this uh, synoptic gospel and the historical backdrop of the Old Testament themes of the long-awaited kingdom of God and of the accompanying messianic expectations of the Jewish nation. 
And we can observe this approach by Matthew, not only in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, but in its last petition that we are considering this evening, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In general terms, Matthew's main thrust in this gospel is to proclaim the reality and the salvific mission of the arrival of God's messianic kingdom in the very person of Jesus. Matthew further unfolds these Old Testament themes stylistically by embedding a significant contrast at the start of this book. In particular, the way he accomplishes this is by setting up the scene with a contrast between the nation of Israel as the unfaithful and disobedient son, and Jesus as the true Israel, as the true and faithful son of God. We see this in Matthew chapter 2, where we find Joseph and Mary, along with their newborn son, Jesus, the expected uh, Messiah, escaping from Palestine to Egypt because of a uh, uh, paranoid and bloodthirsty king who sensed that his throne was in jeopardy. Matthew records the details of this uh, starting in verse 3 of that chapter. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. As you might recall in the last sermon of, of the Lord's uh, prayer, this is the same chapter that Matthew cites from the book of Hosea, and where Hosea uh, uh, narrates in that Chapter 11 of that book, uh, in an anthropomorphic way, uh, he narrates God's mixed uh, feelings uh, concerning his covenant community because of their repeated uh, history and falling into the sin of idolatry, of, of idol worship. And the reason I bring this out is that in the first portion of the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, there is an echo of the Old Testament as well. Lead us not into temptation, which at this moment I would like to draw out a few things for your consideration as the first major point. First, the the phrase, lead us, lead us, should remind us of Christ's temptation recorded in Matthew chapter 4. So please turn with me there in Matthew chapter 4. In this chapter, we find a cosmic spiritual battle that has been arranged, that has uh, eternal consequences, eternal implications. Notice in verse 1 of that chapter 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And notice the setting. The setting here is in the wilderness, and we find the, uh, uh, the same setting in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, where John the Baptist first proclaims in a public way the, the, the first message of the gospel. 
chapter 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word led here in this first verse of uh, chapter 4. And notice this, the similar language that we find in the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. The word led here in Greek has the common usage of, of bringing someone along in a, in a, forceful, in a forceful manner. And, and although... Also, this passage, and in this passage in chapter 4, it provides us with some insights to understand the petition, let us, lead us not into temptation. In other words, it provides us sort of a framework to, to, to understand this particular petition, but not only understand it, but to put this petition into practice. First, we note in this passage of Matthew 4 that God is the arranger of this cosmic showdown. Notice that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted here. And we need to distinguish here between God arranging this cosmic showdown and the agent of temptation Notice that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil here. And the devil here is, is the agent or the tempter at this uh, particular moment. And it is important to make this distinguish, uh, to distinguish this, the two uh, different things here. Because it will help us understand a little bit more about the, the petition. And, and this is not the first time we see in scripture that God uh, tests um, his people and in fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, uh, verse 3, we find a com- covenant community of believers in the wilderness. And in verse uh, 3 of that chapter, it says uh, the following, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart whether you will keep his commandments or not. And this is what's happening in, in the life of Christ here. It is, it is a trial initiated by God. However, the temptation is carried out by Satan, the deceiver uh, himself, to induce him into sin. And it is a, it is a moment where Christ uh, uh, is, is tested in, in a similar fashion as in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And the result here is if what we have here is Christ's uh, uh, conquering or, or passing the test. By the end of this particular portion of Matthew chapter 4, we see, as uh, many theologians have, have, have uh, named this particular chapter, of, of chap, uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, it is known as the, uh, Christ is known as the Christus victor, Christ as the victor over uh, Satan and evil. And we see further the climax of Christ as victor on the cross. And we see it also on the day of a resurrection where he, uh, where he conquers uh, death 
and he and as a result of his atoning sacrifice on the cross, the Father accepts his sacrifice on the cross as the perfect substitute for the forgiveness of our sins. And we see the, uh, how Matthew climaxes this theme uh, of Christ as victor towards the end of this uh, gospel. So, and, so how, should we, how should we understand uh, this petition in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 in light of this? Uh, how should we understand this? And by, by extension, uh, how, how should we understand the second portion of that um, petition, deliver us from evil? Um, this gives us some sense of the word uh, uh, temptation as it is used in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation. And this backdrop uh, gives us some sense of the word uh, the Greek uh, word for uh, temptation uh, could either mean actually trial or, uh, or temptation. And, and there's a difference between the two. Trials uh, can be su- um, things such as illness. Trials can be difficulties and challenges of life. And trials can also include calamities due to uh, natural disasters. Um, but temptation is, is, is a bit different. Is it, temptation is an enticement or an inducement to sin. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 106, provides us some insight into uh, the, the meaning of, of this petition. It says that we pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are uh, tempted. And this, is, uh, this leads us to what the New Testament uh, provides as, as, a, uh, as a manner of speaking, that we have three sources of temptation in this life. The New Testament identifies three sources of temptation, and uh, the first is our own uh, sinful uh, nature. The Puritan Thomas uh, Watson uh, uh, cites an ancient writer and who, who says that all of us, um, all of us are, um, everyone is Satan to himself. Uh, every man has a tempter in his own bosom. A, a traitor, we all have a traitor within the castle that is dangerous. That is to say, we are our own uh, enemies. There was a uh, famous line in, in a cartoon strip by the name of Pogo, and on that particular, on this particular cartoon strip, it states, uh, family states, we have met the enemy, and he is us. And he is us. And this is what chapter, uh, James chapter 1, verse 12 is getting at, that we are a, a, a source ourselves. Our sinful nature is a source of temptation. In verse 12 in James chapter 1, it states the following, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, notice, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, because he's incapable, he's inherently incapable of tempting us into inducing us into sin because uh, of his holy character. 
It goes on, he goes on, James goes on to say in verse 14 of that passage, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And in that very same chapter, uh, the question comes up, what's the purpose of this testing for us as believers? We see that the person purpose of testing in the life of Christ was to prove that he was the true Messiah, but not only to prove that he was the true Messiah, but that he was going to be the true Savior of the world. So what's the purpose of testing in our own personal lives? Well, verse 2 in that chapter uh, 1 of James states the following. It is to strengthen our faith in pursuit of uh, Christian maturity. And it states the following. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the purpose is to test our faith and, and, and the goal is for our Christian maturity, for our spiritual uh, uh, growth. <clears throat> so how, how, how do we specifically confront uh, these three enemies? Or rather, the second enemy I forgot to mention is the world, uh, the world system. Not the physical world, but uh, the world with its uh, own philosophy, human philosophies and man-made religions uh, that form the basis of different world and life uh, views. And this particular uh, enemy sometimes creeps in, their way of thinking creeps in to the life of the church. Uh, for instance, uh, we find ourselves uh, constantly renewing uh, uh, spiritual battles that we have fought years ago. For example, back in the 70s, uh, the church uh, uh, did a, a, a great job in responding to the issue of the doctrine of inerrancy and the infallibility of the scriptures, but we find ourselves in this same spiritual battle nowadays because new uh, nuanced arguments have come about and the church faces these new uh, nuances. But these new nuances are not particularly new uh, in the sense that the, the, the basis is to, to, to undermine the authority of God's word, you see. And this is one battle the church faces with the world, that they do not want to submit to the authority of God's word. So how do we specifically, uh, and also the third, the third, our third source of enemy, our third source of temptation is our, our third enemy called Satan himself and the devil, as we have seen in this passage of Matthew chapter 4. So how, how do we specifically confront these three enemies? Um, well, the petition as a form of prayer itself serves as one of the two primary and complementary ways to, to confront the attacks of these three enemies. And, um, and, and the first is, is the prayer itself. We're talk, the, the main topic um, of the Lord's uh, uh, prayer, of course, is, is prayer itself. And uh, it is informed by the second primary uh, way to confront these three en- enemies, which is the Word of God. The Word of God has, the, uh, has a primary role um, and even forms and shapes the manner in which we should pray and ought to pray and how we should think 
uh, about prayers. So we see that the primary, uh, uh, primary role of, of God's word in the life of the Christian, in particular in our prayer life. So I, I would like to, to say a few things about the second petition, or second portion of the petition, deliver us from uh, evil. Uh, and considering how we should confront, how we should confront specifically these three enemies, so deliver us from evil. For but the first thing on this major, second major point is to discuss um, what appears to be a. Uh, if you look at back at the petition in chapter six, verse uh, thirteen, uh, you will notice that. After the word evil, you'll notice in the ESV that there's a footnote in the ESV. And um, some translations will translate that word evil uh, to, as the evil one. Uh, instead, of, instead of deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. And this stems not as a result of a variation among the many different Greek manuscripts uh, uh, extant nowadays, um, as you observe that footnote, but it stems from a, a, a grammar issues in this particular uh, point. Um, the noun uh, evil and the noun for, for, for the word evil one is sort of hidden. Uh, this particular noun, the gender of this noun is particularly hidden. So it can either be accepted as a, a masculine gender, which in turn would mean or indicate uh, evil one, but it also can be uh, understood in the neuter gender. That is to say that it can also be understood as an evil thing. Okay. But the most, the most likely, um, the most likely rendering uh, has been proposed by several different uh, scholars, and they do point out that uh, following. Uh, before the word evil, there is a preposition, and notice that the preposition is from in English. And in ancient Greek, there are two prepositions for that word from. And one of the two prepositions of that word from was commonly used with a personal object in mind. And that, this, is the, this is the preposition that is used in, in the Greek with a, a personal object in mind so that it, it, it should read rather deliver us uh, from the evil one, which is most likely the understanding due to these points of uh, grammar. However, J.I. Packer, Packer uh, states concerning uh, this uh, particular matter that Jack Packer, uh, in, in, in commenting on this uh, point of grammar, he, he states the following, which is interesting. Uh, the first, as I explained, the first rendering would mean deliver us from all the evil in the world, in ourselves, in other men, in Satan and his hosts. The second rendering will mean deliver us from Satan who seeks our ruin and from all that he exploits to that end, all the ungodliness of the world all the sinfulness of our flesh, all spiritual evil of every sort. Both renderings come, however, to the same uh, thing. 
And he goes on to follow. And the great point is that Jesus' act of giving us this prayer is an implicit promise that if we seek deliverance from evil or from the evil one, we uh, shall uh, find it. So let's return to uh, Matthew chapter 4 as, as that particular chapter will give us more insight into how God's word plays a role in this particular uh, petition in the life of Christ. Matthew chapter uh, 4. And notice again the theme in verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and this is an echo of the covenant community in the wilderness for 40 years, and it says here, after fasting, and, and what's presupposed here is that he was involved in prayer as well. It was very common to pray and fast at the same time. It's not stated here, but it is implied and presupposed. And verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And notice that he cites Deuteronomy chapter 8, where the covenant community was in the wilderness. Then the devil says here, verse 5, and notice that the devil is a fast, fast learner. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and sent him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And he starts to cite scripture. He's a, he's, he's a fast learner. And he, he, will command, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus returns by saying in verse 7, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Christ is citing Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that setting again is in the wilderness. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And here he does not resort in citing scripture anymore. He, he goes on to say, all these I give you. If you fall down and worship me, he showed them all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And if you fall down and worship me, and we see, and we see the magnitude of this cosmic showdown at this particular point as well. He's asking the Son of God to worship him, testing him, to induce him to, to do uh, such a great evil but Christ responds again by citing God's word. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, he cites Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. This is to say that not only that we must learn the content of scriptures, either by hearing it preached to our hearts, either by personal study, which includes a memorization of different passages of Scripture, but we need to be skilled at using it. 
in an appropriate and adequate way, in an appropriate and wise way, as Christ did in this particular passage. In the book of Hebrew, the, it, is, it, is, it, it states that the sword of the Spirit, uh, which is the Word of God, it states in the book of Hebrews, describes uh, God's word in that manner, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is part of the armory for spiritual battle that God provides us, uh, God's uh, uh, word, and we need to uh, learn how to wield it wisely. And, this, and, and also in, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 17, it um, that is part of the armor. That's where it cites the God's word as part of, uh, of our armor as, as believers in Christ. Uh, when we confront the three enemies that we uh, have. And uh, in that particular chapter uh, 6 in Ephesians verse 17, uh, it implies uh, two things when it's concerned the, uh, the word of God as the, uh, the sword of the, uh, of the spirit. Um, uh, one commentator puts it in this way, that it can be understood uh, in a twofold manner, that the uh, word of God in that particular passage, the, the emphasis may be on proclaiming the word as gospel or the, or, the, or the word of the gospel, which is an act of aggression against the kingdom of darkness. Others say that the emphasis is on the use of God's word against the attacks of the evil one as we take up relevant verses in a time of temptation as our Lord did in the wilderness. And the Christian writer goes on to point out that there is really no compelling reason to be forced to choose between these two options, but both are simultaneously valid in this particular context. So the importance, first thing that's important for us is uh, as Jerry Bridges has, has, has mentioned in his book of the uh, discipline of grace, is that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. And that's how we confront the three enemies that we encounter. That's one way, is preaching the gospel uh, to ourselves. The gospel uh, continually saves us uh, on a daily basis, and it is the, the source of our sanctifi- sanctification as we uh, 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 appropriate the gospel by faith in our personal lives. But also, preaching the gospel to others is another way that we confront the three enemies. And Satan is one thing that he hates, is that uh, he hates the preaching of the gospel to all the nations because he knows that through the preaching of the gospel is where God saves and rescues people from the kingdom of darkness and translates them into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God. So, uh, but also, pre- uh, uh, it also includes uh, uh, the sword of the spirit, not only specifically the, the preaching of the gospel, but also the preaching of the entire council of the God's word. Um, and a good starting point uh, for memorization is Psalm uh, 119. And, and, and there's other, uh, obviously, passages that are so relevant into every aspect of our lives. And the Bible speaks to every significant aspect of our lives. And Psalm 119 is a good starting point if you want to memorize different portions of scriptures uh, to enter and to, to enter and to combat um, our three enemies. 
Uh, the first section in that particular chapter begins in this way. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And if you go through that long chapter, that chapter dedicates uh, itself to God's word and is so uh, um, Important. It addresses so many different important facets of our lives, and you can find there in Psalm 119. But also, uh, another thing that needs to be said about deliver us from evil, that uh, in this particular uh, petition, um, what's presupposed in this petition is that we must depend on God's grace and solely on God's grace. This is a petition uh, of of plea. This is a petition of supplication for help. This is a petition that says, I cannot face my three enemies alone. I cannot face my three enemies alone. And especially I cannot face the arch enemy, Satan, because he's powerful, he's crafty, as we have observed in in chapter 4 of Matthew. And he even uses some things that are good in themselves. He he offers, uh, he he asks Christ to, to, he realizes that Christ is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And he says, uh, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And loaves of bread in itself are good things. but uh, the point of this particular passage in Matthew is that spiritual matters are more important. They're more superior than our physical needs like eating and drinking because the physical needs do not have eternal consequences. But our spiritual things in our lives do have eternal consequences. See, So he's very powerful and crafty. So uh, the petition uh, teaches us. It teaches us that we are completely and solely dependent on God's uh, free grace. So in light of these things, in light of these things, we see that the importance of God's word, the the role of the scriptures as a supreme or principal means of of grace, that it should inform uh, our our prayer life, but not only inform our prayer lives, but uh, scripture itself teaches us how to combat our three enemies. So by way of summary of this sixth and last petition, I would like uh, to share a, a few lines that were written by anonymous uh, Christian at the end of the 16th century of uh, Protestant Reformation in Europe and the wars that uh, followed it, according to uh, one writer. And it, he states that this anonymous Christian wrote these lines about temptation And he states, in all the strife of mortal life, our feet shall stand securely. Temptation's hour shall lose its power, for thou shalt guard us surely. O God, renew with heavenly dew our body, soul, and spirit until we stand at thy right hand through Jesus' saving merit. And we're also reminded by Luther's uh, hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And his hymn addresses, uh, in that hymn, our three enemies. And, he, and a portion of that hymn, many of you are familiar with, uh, states the following, Did we in our strength confide? Our striving will be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. 
Lord Sabbath is his name. From age to age, uh, from age to age, the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world, with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him, that word above all earthly powers. And Paul provides really... uh, 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 Paul himself uh, puts into practice this petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When he asked the Thessalonians uh, for prayer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, he puts this uh, particular prayer into uh, practice. And, and that particular chapter begins by saying, Finally, brothers, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And God's people say, Amen.